Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Tuesday, the 21st of February 2023, with myself, Sharjil Ahmed, and also Zakaria Sheikh uh, as well. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing this uh, afternoon? Wa alaikum assalam. Uh, peace be upon you. Uh, yes, uh, with the grace of Allah, um, I'm doing well. Yeah. Um yeah, it's uh, it's been well and I had a, a very busy week and uh and I was looking forward to uh yeah. you know being able to uh speak again on Voice of Islam. Um it's been come a few back weeks. To the yeah, come, come come back, back to, to the studio. studio yeah. Yeah. So it's is it, it's good, really good. Um it, obviously with the you know everything which is uh, which is going on. Um there's so many there's so many things which are going on around the world as well. There's mm-hmm. You know, if you look at if you look at you know disasters, or if you look at uh, relief for those disasters, you know the earthquake which happened as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, tensions which are rising uh, as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, it's not just that, but obviously you know the ongoing um, war, the proxy war that's happening in uh, uh, you know in in Russia, Ukraine. That's also go- you know ongoing as well. But mm-hmm. with you know, with all of this, there's also a lot of advancement which is uh, which is happening as well. So, in the you know in, in the second part of the show, we're going to be speaking about one sort of uh, aspect of these advancements um, when it comes to technology, EV power, um, and uh, and you know the future of energy in the UK. That's uh, mainly what we're going to be spot talking about uh, a little bit later on as well. Electric vehicles, basically. Right, so it's it is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have different opinions about this as well. So it is an interesting topic, and uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on the show as well. Uh, but this part of the show, we're going to be talking about um, talking about counts, uh, talking about cancer, um, and uh, you know, sort of different ways in which uh, you know in which people get cancer, different cancers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we can't talk about you know. Even half of all of them, yeah. Uh, because you know there are so many different, uh, there's so many different categories of cancer as well. We're going to be talking about that as well because Cancer Prevention Action Week is actually taking place um, this week as well. That's mm. basically the reason why on the twentieth to the twenty sixth of uh, of February. So it's an it's an annual event where where awareness of cancer and cancer prevention is actually raised and people are encouraged to take action towards a healthier mm. lifestyle as well because sometimes it's it's the simple things that we can do to prevent something yeah, bigger definitely, right definitely. and it's also it's sometimes it's that urge that you know let me let me just do this doesn't matter nothing's going to happen mm-hmm. you may do that once or twice and and nothing might happen yeah but when you have that habit of of saying you know I'll have that extra, you know, loaf or I'll have that extra bite or that extra nibble or something mm. like that I'll go to the restaurant. I'll have this. I'll have that, and then not really take care of my of my diet. Not really take care of, of you know personal hygiene as well, mm-hmm. and uh, various other things. When we take these things lightly, yep. then problems and tensions start to occur as well. Yeah. And then it's just you know you're you're in that you're in that bubble. It just takes you one one you know sort of. Um, surplus of that little you know that that event that you're yeah. talking about that you know let me just do this and let me let me do that or whatever 
and that happens and then you go out of the bubble, you go out of the line yeah. and that's when, you know, you contract a virus, you contract a disease, you contract, yeah. you know, you can get you can get cancer because of some things as well. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's exactly what happens. So yeah, if, some, if we make, if we sort of change or not particularly change because change is quite hard and difficult, but sort of alter or try to balance Hmm. Uh, our our lifestyles make it a little bit more healthier, and day by day make it even more healthier. Then we can actually, you know, do that extra bit as well. Make it a um, a lifestyle, right? Because lifestyle, you yeah. know, with the busy lives, and uh, you know, hmm. before uh, humans had much more time, right? And then, hmm. of course, uh, with the busy lives, we tend to be uh, tend to use or eat stuff that is uh, unhealthy for us or yeah, yeah. that could cause so many diseases and that of course includes uh, cancer as well right for example the use of microwave or, yeah, or yeah. of the fast food that we eat you mm-hmm. know some people you know uh, who are listening at the moment I you know there might be people who would be eating fast food every day because you know they do not have the time to, to maybe make, cook the food, make the, exactly. the cook the food. Exactly. but there is always a um, alternative there's always a better way uh, for example people could you know meal prep uh, yeah. for the whole day and uh, you know pack them in boxes and then eat them uh, and, and such food that you don't really need to warm up right mm. so those kind of foods uh, because if you have already foods prepared then you would know that you would not have to Go, go and buy an healthy restaurant, yeah, yeah exactly. and then also maybe something uh, to warm up quickly in the micro- microwave. So there is always mm. a better way, but then we have to find those better ways. Mm. Uh, and, and that and that it takes some encouragement as well, isn't encouragement, it? It's not yeah, just, exactly. You can't just do that on, yeah, on a whim as well. You definitely. have to make uh, preparations for that one. Preparation as well, as well yeah. Let's let, you know. We'll talk about this or we'll continue this as well a little bit later on because this is quite interesting. Uh, what you just mentioned there as well, but uh, like I mentioned, let's speak to let's speak to our next guest, our first guest actually, for this part of the show, Dr. Linsley Ambler, who is the co-author of COVID, COVID's impact on uh, on early diagnosis and uh, latest cancer waiting times data, 2023 articles, and she is a senior early um, diagnosis manager at Cancer Research UK, where she has worked for almost four years, and she's got a PhD in biomedical science and previously worked for the National Institute for Health and Care Research as well. Peace be upon you, good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, a lot of people passed away during the during the pandemic due to misdiagnosis. However, the trend of uh, of uh, of missed cancer diagnosis is also um, uh, c- or continuing to rise. Um, w- w- why do you think that is? What's the reason for that? So, understanding exactly what happened during the pandemic and, and particularly thinking about cancer diagnosis is quite tricky. But what we do know is that the NHS um, is under significant strain. I, I don't think that's a secret or a surprise to anyone. Mm. Um, we know that this was made worse by the pandemic, but a lot of the issues facing the NHS existed well before. Uh, so, you mentioned cancer waiting times, and that the data for cancer waiting times shows shows the kind of issues facing the NHS really really clearly. So. Despite the work, hard work of NHS staff, the last time all of the targets were met in England for cancer waiting times was as far back as 2015. So we do know that people are still facing long waits for the tests and treatments that they need. 
Um, mm. So it, it's it's really tricky, and the NHS is facing such strain. We know that diagnosing and treating people earlier is going to give them the best chance of a good outcome if if their tests do show that they have cancer. Um, and we know that, of course, waiting for tests could be a really really stressful time. And um, so our helpline nurses, you know, do hear from people who who call up to speak to them and they're distressed and they're anxious because they're having to wait for tests and treatments. Mm. It's really important, I think, that cancer waits are addressed so that patients aren't waiting too long for tests and treatments and, and potentially um, seeing their outcomes decline. Now, just talking about, uh, talking about or just uh, continuing on from that, actually, in May 2022, the number of patients on the diagnostic uh, waiting list actually reached over 1.5 million. But had the pre- uh, pre-pandemic uh, trends continued, we would have still seen a waiting list of 1.2 million. Now, obviously, the pandemic has made you know made that number even more. But is the pandemic still to blame, though, for for the huge cancer blockade for, for you know what we're facing actually right now? Well, as you said, the pandemic has, has definitely made the situation worse and and hugely disruptive cancer care and and people affected by cancer. But really, the the pandemic accelerated the issues that cancer services were facing and, and haven't really really caused them, they've just made them worse. So we we know that the NHS has, has been under a lot of strain for quite a long time now. Um, the Cancer Research UK have been sounding the alarm on the importance of early diagnosis, which, which requires capacity in health systems to be able to carry out tests um, for people that might have cancer. Um, and, and, you know, we've been doing that for years because because the NHS has been facing um, quite stretched, uh, facing the fact that it's been quite stretched hmm. in terms of capacity. The hmm. government um, promised in its manifesto to improve cancer outcomes in the UK and, and particularly improve um, early diagnosis of cancer because we know that's so important. So we, what we need to see really is a government to step up and commit to a comprehensive and fully funded long-term cancer plan to transform cancer services from world lagging to world leading, and that will include addressing cancer waiting times, which are causing, um, which are, are really not great at the minute and causing problems. Yeah, I mean, I just want to talk a little bit more about that as well because you, your role is also focused on uh, on the evidence around early diagnosis. Um, so I want to ask you that. Despite despite the NHS trying to actually recover from this uh, from this whole backlog, we're seeing more cancers which are now being diagnosed at a later stage rather than an earlier stage. Now, if this actually continues, then how severe could this could this be? Could the implications be? So, for the, for the pandemic period, it's quite tricky to understand what's going on. So we know that sadly, some people will have died during the pandemic. That um, may have ha- had cancer, but they weren't they weren't diagnosed because you know they weren't they weren't able to go in, into um, into the hospital for tests, for example, because of the pandemic. So understanding exactly what's going on is quite tricky. But what we do know is that early diagnosis is really important. Diagnosing cancer early means that treatment is much more likely to be effective, effective which means that um, someone diagnosed early is going is likely to have much better outcomes than someone diagnosed at a later stage. So um, early diagnosis going backwards is something that we're, we're concerned about. Um, 
there were um, early diagnosis ambitions. So in, in the NHS in England, there's a, a target that by 2028, 75% of all cancers will be diagnosed at an early stage. Um, but we, we are not on track to meet that target, um, which is why it's so important that we continue to focus on early diagnosis, um, just like Cancer Research UK has been doing for years. And, and part of that is uh, influence the government to take a long-term approach to transforming cancer care and to make sure that it gets the attention that it deserves and that we're investing in research to find new ways to prevent, diagnose and treat cancer. We're making sure that the NHS has everything that it needs to be able to deliver tests and treatments for patients. And of course, we're, we're taking action where we can to prevent as many cancers as possible. Um, in, the, in the meantime, until we have that, on a kind of individual basis, it's really important to remember that it's better for someone um, to, to see a doctor, a, a wait, wait to see a doctor than sit at home if they've got symptoms. It's really important for people to listen to their body and if they sense that something isn't right, they go see the GP and, and persevere in trying to get that appointment, which can be tricky because your doctor does want to hear from you if you've got potential symptoms. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Lindsay, uh, thank you so much for, for speaking to us and raising uh, uh, awareness uh, as well into this topic as well. Um, thank you so much for your expertise. Uh, have a lovely day. Thanks so much for having me. Oh. Bye. Bye-bye. So, you know, we, we by just talking to uh, Lindsay over there, as well, or, Dr., or Dr. Lindsay, I should say, um, it is important that we try to diagnose, mm-hmm. you know, those those patients earlier on as well, isn't it? It's yeah. not just uh, it's not just about um, diagnosing them or getting them the treatment. It's about mm-hmm. getting them the treatment as early as possible mm-hmm. uh, as well. Because if we don't, then obviously it can have implications as as she suggested as well. As she said as well. And definitely, if you don't treat something, it's going to get worse and worse, isn't it? Yeah, it, it gets worse and worse actually. Um, in, it is estimated that there are currently 3 million people living with cancer in the UK, rising to mm. 3.5 million by 2025, um, wow. 4 million by 2030, 5.3 million by 2040. And on uh, on average, someone is diagnosed with cancer every 90 seconds wow. in the UK, resulting around four, 460 deaths every day. Mm. Just just because of cancer. Just because of cancer, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's so uh, scary, you know. Yeah. Before, uh, if you just look at 50 years ago, no, not, not 50 years ago, maybe before, right? Mm. Not many people were uh, diagnosed with so much, you know, with cancer. Why? The reason is because they, they had much healthier lifestyle. Mm. And, and uh, you know, the main causes of um, cancer, you can see, uh, is um, because of an unhealthy, greasy uh, mm. foods or foods that is processed or, or the usage processed of food or the, yeah, processed exactly. foods. And, you, and all of these kind of things didn't exist before, right? You mentioned uh, as well before that, you know, the, the you know sometimes we just we rely on the microwave so much. Yeah, so uh, much. And that can be so harmful as well, isn't it? It, it literally kills all the nutrition. You know, yeah. maybe maybe... 10% would remain I'm, I'm yeah. not sure but I was just reading somewhere yeah. maximum of the benefits of the food just vanishes and yeah. you're just having food yeah. that has no benefit for you for your body at all and it's, it's sad as well because because 
you know, obviously, you know, the cost of living is going up. Right? Yeah. There's no denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we talk about this almost every day, right? Yeah. The cost of living is going up. <clears throat> the prices for, you know, the energy prices are going up. Your, mm-hmm. all, all, of the, all of your bills are so high. Mm-hmm. And some places, you know, it's 50%. Yeah. Uh, some, either rent is going up. So it's, it, it may be higher than that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as, in, uh, as in everything has gone up, right? Yeah. And for people to actually work also, and pay off the bills, and then also cook food as well, yeah. or cook proper food, proper food that they actually like and enjoy. Mm-hmm. All of those things combined can can actually be a very difficult task. Yeah, and some people may even say that you know we 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 don't have time to cook the food, mm-hmm. uh, or we don't even have the money to actually go out there buying all the ingredients, yep. uh, buying you know all the things that you want to cook, and mm-hmm. then make that food um, uh, as well. Um, and that's why they rely on, you know, already or pre-made uh, meals. You know, you talked about m- uh, food prep or meal prep, right? Yeah. But meal prep is something that you do on your own, isn't it? You make that food yourself. You make that on uh, on your own on a day that you don't have work, so let's say. Yeah. If you're working uh, 24-7, that's yeah. difficult. But, that's uh, difficult, yeah. Uh, those people who meal prep, they pro- probably prepare, prepare the food it, for a week or... Yeah. Uh, twice I, I know some people who do meal prep as well, isn't okay, it? And yeah. then they one day they will just sit down the whole day. They will just yeah. make and put the food into the containers, everything, yeah. and they'll make that for the next, for the next fortnight, for the next I don't know, th- three, four weeks as well. Yeah, uh, I don't know about four weeks, but they'll make it for a long period of time. Yeah, I, I, uh, if it's more, if you eating them for more than three days, uh, you should keep them in in the deep freezer. In the f- deep freezer, uh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. deep freezer, and then take them out a day before. But that's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. If 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 people uh, don't have the time to actually make that, yeah. to make the food prep, uh, yeah. the meal prep, sorry, yeah. and uh, they don't, they can't even. Sometimes they might say, you know, they can't even, uh, they can't even, uh, they can't even afford it. Yeah. Then it's uh, then it's it puts us uh, they it puts us into that position that they have to go. But, and buy that, isn't but, but, it? But, but, but sorry, so let's, <laughs> let's speak to let's speak to the guest first, and sure, uh, we'll, and then we'll and then I'll yeah, get we'll come your, back to this. We'll uh, come back to this again. as well because it is quite interesting. Yeah, and I do want to listen to what you had to say as well. <laughs> um, so we have uh, Dr. Aziza Sase on the line uh, with us. Apologies if I mispronounce your name, but uh, who is an NHS general practitioner with a keen interest in uh, in health promotion. Uh, disease prevention and advocacy as well. She's also an ambassador of the Eve Appeal as well. Assalamualaikum. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. And don't worry, everyone often gets my surname incorrect. It's Dr. Sisei, Aziza Sisei. Dr. Aziza Sisei, thank you so much for, for joining us. Apologies for that one as well. Um, just to begin with then, then as, as, a, as a GP in primary care, what has been your first-hand experience dealing with uh, you know, the, the whole cancer backlog, especially you know, urgent referrals uh, and the pressure that comes with it? Yeah, I mean, um, during COVID, obviously, things had changed dramatically in the way that we practice. We we were doing more remote practice work than we were doing um, face-to-face, so we were seeing patients face-to-face at the same time. 
<clears throat> things were very, very difficult. And of course, it's caused a backlog. Uh, we know there's a recent research that's come out when we talk about specifically gynecological cancer care. Mm. It says that there was a significant disruption across the UK, including reduced staffing. And um, that was to do with, you know, sickness levels with the COVID-19 urgent referral delay, theater capacity reduction, working practice changes, and all these disruptions, though um, recently things have got, started to come back to normal, we still have all these staff shortages. And um, it shows that there is a persistent capacity in the constraints, as well as that during the pandemic, um, there was data that showed that the number of people who sought help for say, for instance, gynecological cancer concerns, uh, red flag symptoms, they they would see their GP. Oh, I'm so sorry about that noise. Yeah, they no, wouldn't see their GP. There was a re- reduction by 20% because, again, of the COVID-19. And now things have gotten back to normal. We as GPs were referring multiple patients for urgent cancer care checks more than ever before, more than 200,000 every month. And that's what the statistics shows. So we've eradicated that shortfall. But at the same time, it means that there's more and more referrals that's being made, which means the waiting time has prolonged a lot for patients who are waiting for their diagnoses. And yes, it has impacted us because we are then having to deal with that aspect. The ones who are struggling with their symptoms, we're having to see them whilst they await their appointments. But it's, it's, it's really hard because... As we know, there's shortage of staff in the NHS. There's loads of shortfalls at the moment with the NHS, and we're trying our best to do what we can given the situation as it is. Mm-hmm. And um, would you say that the amount of misdiagnosis um, or the late diagnosis or lo- long waiting times for cancer treatments um, have had a knock-on effect on the number of patients and their families suffering from uh, mental health problems as well? Absolutely. Again, COVID has significantly impacted the mental health of so many people. The uncertainty, the lifestyle change, the stress, you know, all the losses that were experiencing, financial burden and so on. That has already impacted a lot of people with their mental health. But absolutely, the waiting time for a diagnosis that could potentially be something sinister is difficult for anyone to experience. Mm-hmm. It's psychologically ta- challenging. So, yes, it would definitely have a knock-on effect on the mental health of both the patients and their loved ones. But this is where I would encourage anyone in this situation to please see your doctor for more support and guidance. Let us know if you're struggling. You know, cancer is a priority for the NHS and where we can, if we can, um, request for appointments to be expedited, we'd, we'd endeavor to do so. If we find, if you as a patient find any more new symptoms, anything that's more worrying, again, please let us know so that we can help you and direct uh, you to the right services where appropriate. Uh, what are the some of the services that you know whoever is listening to us now, uh, they can go to, uh, um, and what are the easiest ways, you can say, uh, to, to reach uh, the doctor? Yeah. So the first point of call would always be your GP, which is um, what I am. I would always say try and book an appointment um, with your GP practice. Please make sure you're registered. In the UK now, you don't need um, an NHS number. You don't need a, an address or proof of address or anything to register with a GP practice. But that's your first port of call. 
see your GP or um, the healthcare professional. So now we have advanced nurse practitioners. Tell them about your symptoms or what you're concerned about, and then we refer you on. But there are also um, services. So we've mentioned the Eve Appeal, who I'm an ambassador for. They're brilliant because um, their main goal is to prevent cancer from occurring at all, or at least encourage the early diagnosis um, to occur uh, because we know that early diagnosis saves lives. Treatment is more likely to be successful, curative, and less invasive. So they have a service called Ask Eve, which basically it's a nurse who's at the end of the phone. Some people find it nerve-wracking to go straight to their GP. So if you have gynecological um, symptoms that could potentially be cancer, I'd encourage you to ring them. It's a free service. And you can talk through your symptoms, and then they can, again, guide you to the right call. They may actually encourage you to go and see your GP so you can then have the assessments and the tests that you need. I also want to emphasize here, because I don't want to scare anyone, majority of the times when we talk about um, potential cancer symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer. It's rarely the case. But again, we want it to get checked out, because if it is the case, again, it's picked up early where um, the treatment is more likely to be successful, curative, and less invasive. Wonderful. Thank you for the information, and uh, thank you for those. Actually, uh, even if you think regular health checks are something which is uh, necessary as well, even if you have think that there might be, but you're not sure, then you should go and contact your GP. Thank you for that. Um, what are some of the ways in which uh, charity like yours um, and the NHS England and the general practices can better improve the uh, local um, cancer services for patients? Yeah, so like I said, with regards to Eve Appeal, what they do is a lot of health awareness about cancer prevention and early diagnosis. So they talk about the symptoms that you need to look out for, educate people, because there's so many people that aren't aware of symptoms that could potentially be cancer related hmm. and also encourage people to get checked as soon as possible. And I mentioned the Ask Eve service. I also think um, what the NHS is doing. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, they released, I don't know if you had heard about it, but there's an NHS um, cancer busting bus that was going around. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Wh- wh- which was areas? In, yeah, so it went all over the UK. It was oh, okay. in oh. Blackpool. Um, it went to Leicester, uh, it, and then it finally came down to London. Mm-hmm. And that was across one week where essentially they were talking to the public in these locations about cancer symptoms to look out for. And again, to encourage people to get seen because the message was that 83% of people, if they get their ca- the cancer diagnosed early, they're more likely to to live five years or more. Do you understand the mm-hmm. The outcome is way, way better. So as I say, cancer is a priority um, for the NHS, and they're doing everything they can to raise awareness so more and more people seek the help that they need. Because mm. unfortunately, there's the um, the fear that a lot of us have about symptoms and, oh, could it be cancer? And then we don't go and get checked. So we need to try and remove that fear factor so that we do get checked, and as I say, I know I keep saying the same thing, but I'm saying this so that the message really no, gets no, drilled thank you. in. If the diagnosis is made early, it makes the biggest difference when it comes to the outcome. Mm. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much uh, for the awareness, for the information. I hope uh, those who are listening 
and you know they can take action now or at least you know convey the message to those who you know who you care who might be going some through some difficulties or uh, they might think that they have cancer so uh, thank you very much um uh, sister Aziza for uh, Dr Aziza for for your information for the details you've given and thank you very much for your time It's okay would it be okay if i just quickly run through some of the symptoms to look out for uh, Yeah sure sure Okay all right so just some general cancer symptoms to look out for if you notice any new changes in your body so any explained unexplained pain the last 3 weeks or more any tummy trouble so having diarrhea that lasts 3 weeks or more a cough that stays and it doesn't go away for 3 weeks or more if you notice any blood in your urine or even just one time um just see your doctor just in case if you notice blood in your stools for 3 weeks or more if you notice any unexplained weight loss it's unintentional you're just losing weight and you don't know why if you're getting heartburn like symptoms indigestion feeling tired all the time and you're not sure why you're you're feeling that way if you're getting any unexplained bleeding from anywhere on or an unexplained lump anything that is different to what your normal is please 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 come and see us get it checked out again i'm not saying that it's cancer but at least um it, we can assess it and we can rule that, that out as a potential cause there's also more information on nhs.uk/cancersymptoms just to raise awareness about uh what you need to look out for sorry <laughs> i just wanted to really put that in no 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 thank you very much uh, you know that was also necessary of course um people should also know you know what the causes are or what how you can prevent it if yeah thank you very much uh for the no information worries. as well thank It's you okay. all right bye jazakallah bye jazakallah thank you So that was you know that was that was very interesting yeah. uh, listening to her as well mm-hmm. um and uh, getting her insight into this as well and obviously you know we, we do need to look out for the symptoms as well so it, it was good that that she that she mentioned that very quickly mm-hmm. uh, as well sometimes there are things that we don't realize you, you know don't realize we, we just look at it and we say you know it, it'll go uh, away yeah it was it just might, just you know fade away or something fade away, yeah. you know, it's something small but sometimes you know that is the trigger that is the red flag and mm. you need to look out for those things yeah. uh, as well um because obviously you don't want it to be cancer or lead on to something like that isn't yeah. it yeah yeah it, it, it because you never know it's a uh, it, you know i was just reading somewhere and it says that if you delay it by four uh, months let's say and mm. time just fi- literally flies right yeah. and you just neglect whatever pain you have and whatever symptoms you had and you thought okay this might be nothing and you don't It, it it the cancer um you know possibility increases to 20% mm. right and and spreads, uh, as, well, and it spreads it? as well and then uh, by the time you go to the doctor and it's too, already too late it's very mm. difficult for them to then sometimes you exactly. know diagnose it uh, f- uh, for them to cure it actually cure it and yeah. treat it as well yeah and treat it let's uh, let's speak to our next guest who is on the line with us uh, Jennifer uh, Bramforth who is head of policy and influencing for England at Bow Cancer UK she works with people affected by bow cancer and the clinical and research community to campaign for her uh, for for for, ear- for early diagnosis and access to best treatment across the UK as well peace be upon you good morning uh, good afternoon welcome to the show Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Bow Cancer UK and uh, what is doing to help tackle the current uh, cancer crisis here as well? 
Yeah, so bowel cancer is actually the fourth most common cancer in the UK at the moment, and it's unfortunately the second biggest cancer killer affecting both men and women. So that means every 15 minutes someone's diagnosed with bowel cancer. Oh, wow. That's nearly 43,000 people every year. Um, The good news is bowel cancer is treatable and curable, especially if diagnosed early. So we know that nearly everyone will survive bowel cancer if diagnosed at the earliest stage. However, this drops significantly as the disease develops. So it is a cancer where early diagnosis really does save lives. So our focus is really on trying to uh, improve early diagnosis for people affected by bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. And whilst, uh, because obviously there, there, there is a lot of uh, backlog as well, um, various different reasons and, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the the pandemic being one of the main reasons and uh, for that as well. What are some of the ways in which uh, cancer waiting times can actually be addressed, uh, especially in terms of policies as well? Yeah, so um, just to give a bit of context, the, the figures published by NHS England for 2022 showed that more people than ever were being urgently referred for tests that can diagnose bowel cancer. So that's actually a really good indicator that more people are aware of the symptoms and talking to their GP, which is great news. Unfortunately, it means the demand for the tests that diagnose bowel cancer far outweighs the number of appointments available. Hmm. So people are waiting too long um, to get their bowel cancer diagnosis. Unfortunately, the coronavirus pandemic only made the situation worse because uh, colonoscopies had to be paused for various reasons. And while uh, NHS staff have worked incredibly hard to restart the service, uh, this pause has has contributed to a kind of growing backlog. Uh, As far as we're concerned, the biggest barrier to improving these waiting times and ultimately survival is long-standing NHS staff shortages in endoscopy and pathology services, which are basically the services most important to diagnosing the disease. So put simply, we need more NHS staff trained to carry out these tests. Because as I say, bowel cancer is extremely treatable if diagnosed early. So it's really unacceptable that so many people are having to wait longer Mm. than the recommended time for this diagnosis. So Bowel Cancer UK is part of a coalition of cancer charities that has been calling on the government to urgently address this to help meet the ambition to diagnose 75% of cancers at stage one and two by 2028. Uh, And with demand for services kind of increasing in part to an aging population, which will be ongoing for a number of years, uh, the government needs a comprehensive and adequately funded long-term cancer plan and workforce plan to deliver those additional staff and equipment needed to tackle those waiting times. Mm-hmm. Um, the the current cancer backlog um, is unfortunately affecting everyone. Um, however, the the underdeserved communities are suffering more of a disadvantage due to the current situation. Uh, what could uh, be done to reach out specifically to them? and uh, to spread awareness and increase the chances uh, at better health outcomes? Yes, I think symptom awareness is really, really important. Um, the, The symptoms of bowel cancer include kind of bleeding from your bottom, persistent unexplained weight loss, uh, a change in bowel habit from whatever your normal is, Mm -hmm. sort of extreme tiredness or a lump or pain in your tummy. And, um, 
you know, these are symptoms that we would say to people, if you have any of these symptoms, please, please do visit your GP. They will want to see you. They will give you a, a they'll potentially give you a test that you'll go home and you can test your poo at home. It's very easy to do. And then the GP can decide whether your symptoms need further investigation. Um, another way for people that's really important in terms of bowel cancer, for people who don't have symptoms, we do have a bowel cancer screening program, which I cannot emphasize enough it, that taking part in bowel cancer screening is one of the best ways to diagnose cancer at the earliest stage when treatment is most successful. And screening is basically a way to test healthy people and see um, if they show any really early signs of cancer. Mm -hmm. So it aims to detect that cancer, you know, really, really early. And the test, it can also actually find polyps, which are basically non-cancerous growths in your bowel, mm -hmm. which might develop into cancer in the future. And these polyps can usually be removed and that can actually reduce your risk of developing bowel cancer in the future. Hmm. Um, so the screening program is uh, for people aged between 60 and 74. Uh, you will automatically be invited to take part every two years if you're registered with your GP and you're within that age range. And in England, the NHS is actually currently reducing the age of bowel cancer from 60 to 50, which is something we've campaigned for for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're hoping to have the age range uh, down to 50 by 2025, so that's a really important element. Uh, we're also um, supporting the NHS this week, who have launched their first ever national bowel cancer screening campaign, mm -hmm. uh, which will help, hopefully help improve uptake of screening. So currently around 70% of people living in, in England complete their bowel cancer screening tests. Which is, which is good, but there's obviously an extra 30% of people that we need to reach. Um, and this NHS campaign is targeting those communities that are less likely to engage in screening. So, for example, ethnic minorities are less likely to participate. Mm -hmm. And according to research, um, Muslims are also less likely to engage with screening than other religions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, getting the awareness out about taking those bowel cancer screening tests when they come to your home, uh, I would highly encourage anyone when it arrives on your door, please don't put it off. Take the test, send it back, um, and then hopefully you'll get a, an early diagnosis if there is anything wrong. Mm. Thank you. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for answering our questions, uh, and and thank you for the advice. That uh, yeah, if if uh, you are have been you know approached for screening or or any test, then you should not neglect it. And especially you mentioned ethnic backgrounds, uh, uh, minority ethnic minorities, and and or, or if there are Muslims who. Uh, neglected, then I, I, I personally think no one should be neglecting if uh, there is a possibility for you to treat it or to scan it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, thank, and you. thank you. And just to say, if anyone wants to find out any more information about bowel cancer, please do visit our website at www.bowelcancer.org.uk and we have lots of information and support on there. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was um, Jennifer also telling us, you know, more uh, about this as well, bowel cancer mm. and how, you know, if you treat it earlier on, yeah. you can, you know, you can prevent it. You can, mm. so I mean, not prevent it because you already have it, but you can actually uh, treat it 
and uh, y- you wouldn't have to, to face that later on as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Because if you leave it too late or you don't get diagnosed earlier enough and mm-hmm. then, you know, just like you mentioned as well, if you wait for three, four months, maybe a little bit longer than that as well, um, then it can increase and can get so much that to treat it would be a difficult task. Yeah. But if you treat it earlier on, in the earlier stages, mm-hmm. if you detect it, you treat it, then you'll be done with it. Mm, um, definitely. And, and you know, the, when it comes to when it comes to Islam, we should, we, you know, we should look at what Islam says as well. Yeah. Islam tells us that you know, we wh- wherever there is, wherever there is a cure, you know, we should tr- try our best to actually uh, adopt that one. Uh, if that method of treatment is yeah. you know is actually beneficial and not mm. harmful in any way as well, so mm. there are some methods of treatment. Which uh, you know, which you know, which which don't go in line with what uh, with what Islam says. Mm. But most of the things, most of the you know, the new sciences and the new technology that we have, you know, uh, most you know, most of them are you know, we can we can apply them as well. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong in that one. Definitely, I'm. Uh, I, I was uh, you know doing some research and. Uh, a lot of the people they still th- there is a belief mm. in uh, there used to be a doctor called Dr. Sebi or Dr. Sabi mm. and he used to believe that there is a cure for cancer mm. all types of cancers right. and he used to basically advise people to take and you know, different types of fruit and prevent people from you know having uh, things that are processed you mm. know and especially used to tell that you should reduce or I, I don't. I think he was vegetarian or vegan. I don't know, uh, but he did not promote a lot of eating meat. So mm. there are people who, um, you know, advise to have healthier uh, or fruits that could prevent, or fruits and vegetables that could prevent um, cancer. Mm. And one of the fruits that um, is well known, and I'm not sure how accurate it is, but uh, people. In South America, maybe they take it a lot, mm. um, uh, the, or South Asia. This is the, the fruit is called a sausak. so it looks like a jackfruit, mm. but smaller size, a bit more greenish, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, it comes. It's usually we have this fruit, and it comes from South America, mm. and that's it. Says that it's uh, ten times better than. Um, the uh, the treatment that we right. have that, that right. we get the yeah so it could the chemotherapy yes right uh, so it could be prevent and it could actually you know fight a cancer without doing chemotherapy if it's early enough if it's, early if, it's enough. if it's already too late then I would not yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't just rely on yeah. uh, on, on on the fruit but uh, but apparently that fruit is really really beneficial for those who uh, if you want to fight cancer. Mm. So uh, I mean, there, I mean, there must be there must be different things, which are you know which are actually out there, yeah. and people have a cure for them as well. Um, fi- I mean, that's what physicians uh, do as well, isn't it? Mm. Taking uh, herbs out, and uh, different herbs can actually be used in different ways. Mm. Um, you know, instilling them or distilling them, and you know, using that substance to actually fight off any sort of viruses or diseases as well. Yeah. In fact, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has also said that there is no disease that Allah has created except that it has also created, he has also created this treatment, this treatment as well. Yeah. The thing is, is that there are some diseases 
or there are, we can say there are many diseases which we know the treatment for that. Mm-hmm. But then there might be some diseases, you know, cancer being one of them, we don't fully know what the treatment is. I mean, we do have different methods of treatment, mm-hmm. chemotherapy, maybe there's other, you know, fruits or other foods that you can have that can prevent it or cure it as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there must be other things as well. I mean, yeah. God Almighty has created something. He must create his antidote and, uh, you know, it's his treatment uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, but, every, yeah. yeah, like like you said, uh, his holy, uh, um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings, a lot of people on him, mm. uh, he's, he's saying that if God wants us, you know, if there is any uh, disease which is created um, um, by Allah, and and then there should be a treatment for that as well. And remember in the Holy Quran, God Almighty says that um, honey is also one of um, the uh, things that could mm. cure a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of things. And it is a cure for a, mankind. Yeah, for, for man, cure for mankind. And I believe in in Russia somewhere, um, they had a, a test that they did. So they had a treatment with honey and uh, somewhere else they had you know they just um they had two hospitals right one they used to treat with different things and one hospital they used to they they tried out with honey and they saw that there was so much success with the treatment with honey that uh, you know it had a lot of cure for a lot of the diseases that the 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 patients came with um but so it, it does prove it, it does yeah. prove i mean yeah. uh you know it has been it hasn't been tried in uh, these countries yet mm. or yeah. in Europe but it has been tried in in Russia so it means that it's all it, western it, europe then. western <laughs> europe yeah, yeah. so uh, i believe that uh, you know you can you know you you could you know uh, treat a lot of things for, with with honey i mean obviously we you know we believe that you know prevention or doing something earlier on you know yeah. if you have contracted any virus or disease or illness yeah try to treat it earlier on as well because you know if it gets too much then it will spread so much as yeah. well isn't it it'll be difficult to to actually treat um, the promised messiah once yeah. also said that negligence is something that could lead to your own destruction and he said that the negligence of your soul mm. and is the destruction of it is that you will not be spiritual anymore mm. and the negligence of your body and is that if you don't take care of your body and if you don't go unwell. to the doctor yeah. then you will actually slowly slowly destroy your body Let's. Uh, that was very beautiful when you just said there as well. Um, let's speak to our next guest who's on the line with us, uh, Professor Peter, uh, Professor Peter Sassieni, uh who's an academic director uh, of uh, King's Clinical Trials Unit and a professor of cancer prevention as well. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank, you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Now, what's what's your what's your take on existing uh, cancer screening um, programs here in the UK, such as breast, uh, cervix, and bowel cancers? And how important do you think that cancer screenings are in actually tackling um, uh, cancer? So we had uh, probably some of the best cancer screening programs in the world in the UK. Um, tobacco screening has had a huge impact in reducing the number of women who get cervical cancer and the number of women who die from cervical cancer in the UK. Um, breast and bowel screening have um, a proportionately smaller impact, but 
but those cancers are more common and so they're also doing a, a huge amount of good. Unfortunately, um, the number of people who are participating in screening, who are going for screening has fallen. It was particularly badly affected with the lockdown with the uh, COVID pandemic. Mm. Um, so those things need to improve. There's been improvements in um, bowel screening recently and I hope to see expansions of that. And then uh, it's now recommended that we should have a lung screening program in this country and I very much hope that those will be introduced in the uh, the four nations uh, very soon. Interesting, very interesting. C- can you tell us a little bit about your work and research in the cancer prevention measures and its uh, and its implications for fu- for you know future population? So we've been working uh, over the years in trying to evaluate just how good cancer screening programs are. Uh, I think it's always important when you're doing something at a population level to making sure to make sure that that what you hope to achieve you really are achieving. And through that, we've particularly with the cervical screening program, there's been a lot of improvements over the year. Over the years, we're now using a a different test. Um, it's much more accurate, and it's also very subjective. It's not sorry, it's very objective. It's not. Um, dependent on uh, people looking at things under a microscope and having to make a judgment. It's done uh, with robots based on molecular changes. So that's a big improvement there. Um, Also looking at how do you get screening to, uh, how do you get people to come forward for screening, particularly from different ethnic groups or more deprived populations, people who may have other priorities, uh, working people who are are too busy to find time to get to go for screening. Um, So how can we make that uh, more, uh, to get the most out of the screening test? And then we're looking at some new screening tests, uh, uh, two in particular. We're looking at a, a blood test that would look for all cancers. So that would really revolutionize the way we do screening if that works. Uh, people would probably still have the existing screening programs, but in a different, in addition, if this works, um, people aged 50 to 80 would probably go once a year, have a little blood sample taken, mm-hmm. and that would be tested and hopefully uh, would lead to finding cancers early when they can easily be treated, perhaps just with surgery and nothing else, um, and cured that way. Mm-hmm. And then for people who have heartburn we're also looking at a a screening test that can be done there uh, specifically for looking at changes in the food pipe Um, the the cancer which is not that common but is very aggressive very nasty and uh, we believe we can find that early when again it can be treated quite easily um, and that would again would have a big impact for um, on that particular cancer Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Professor Peter, for, for your answers. Um, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your interest. Thank you. Thank you. So, so this was uh, Professor Peter Sessieni, uh, uh, he's the academic director of King's Clinical Trials Unit and professor of cancer prevention. Uh, interesting. Great, uh, yeah, very interesting uh, you know, discussions. Uh, uh, very. Uh, uh, informative as well uh, we had you know we've learned a lot 
today in the first hour mm. with uh, the experts in, in, in cancer. Um, I mean, uh, um, the, the, the Holy Quran in many places tells us how we should uh, not be lose hope right and mm. he tells us mm-hmm. that uh, that it's god who gives us health uh, and and god says that if a misfortune takes over them and if if we lose someone we have to remember that uh, god almighty says to allah we belong and to allah we should return so mm. uh, we should no never lose hope but uh, to prevent cancer we should be always we should not um, be negligence mm. uh, we we should not show any type of um you know laziness or or carelessness carelessness yeah i mean that that is one of you know the you know the the teachings of islam as well islam mm. teaches that on one side right you you fulfill the rights of god you mm-hmm. know you worship him and everything yeah you obey him obey his commandments and on the other side on the other hand you you look out for your fellow human beings as well you look mm-hmm. out there you look out for their rights and what they are due or what you owe them as well mm-hmm. um in terms of you know we try our best to to serve them yes and you know we have we have different ways in which we can um you know serve other people uh and in this way if they if we we have people who are who are who are ill who are sick mm-hmm. who need treatment then we you know we have doctors as well we have hospitals we have doctors yeah. we have all these uh, you know we have gps nurses and everything mm-hmm. to actually look out for these people who are you know who are sick yeah. uh, as well whether you know they can be physically sick they can be mentally sick as well they mm-hmm. can and uh, in other forms uh, as well so looking out for our our fellow human beings and treating treating them trying to take care of them is actually part and parcel of the of the islamic faith yeah indeed and and it's something which we should be proud of as well trying to serve uh, humanity as uh, mm-hmm. humanity at large as well isn't it it's 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 a sunnah and mm. and the practice of the holy prophet as well to yes, go and visit those who you know mm. uh, and this is one of the rights and there are five rights and one of the rights of a fellow human being is that you yeah. go and visit uh, the sick or someone who doesn't feel well mm. and maybe give them advice and those who are listening at the moment you know you have learned so much maybe you could you know uh, relay the information and and pass on the information to others so that they could benefit from this as well absolutely it's all about it's all about putting others before yourself isn't yeah. it and once we have a society a society which is built around this sort of uh, philosophy that mm. you know we try to take take care of others more than we take care of ourselves put others before yourself like for your brother or you like for yourself for yourself yeah so these are all teachings of islam these are all teachings of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him what he has taught us and this is something which you know is part and parcel of the islamic faith as well something that we like to or we try to emulate and preach and practice as well uh, we're coming towards the news join us after that where we'll go into our next topic which is going to be very interesting stay tuned you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab and via the internet 24 hours a day 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, in this part of the show, we are going going into our next topic, uh, which is quite uh, you know quite quite interesting as well. Um, EV power and future of energy in the UK. EV electric electric vehicles. A lot of people have different um, a diff- uh, you know different uh, different opinions. Uh, about this, some people like them, some people strongly like them, some people strongly dislike them, and, and obviously, you know, you have the the middle ground people as well who don't really mind them, as well. Now, although the move to electrical vehicles is an opportunity to reduce emissions in the in in the in the, in the transport sector, the, as I mentioned, <laughs> there's always debate in regards to this as well um, on whether EVs, electric vehicles, are actually adequate and attainable for all countries. Um, and w- will such advancements be inclusive of the world's poorest countries or will they be uh, left behind? Um, mm. Of course they will be. Yeah. Of course, that's <laughs> not even a question. You know, they, they don't even have roads, proper roads. You know, sometimes, you know, you have, you know, because I I don't know about other countries, right, but I've been to Sierra Leone, right? Um, and the motorway... Is uh, is one is one sort of uh, it's a one lane. Um, obviously, it's not one way, but it's it's a one lane. So you just have one road going straight, and the on the on the other side, one road uh, going uh, going going back. Hmm. Right, that's the that's the motorway. Okay, yeah. and then on the motorway, they have uh, you know a little bit of you know obviously <clears throat> bumps and here and there, cracks yeah. on the road and this and that. So if you don't even have a smooth road. Right, and that's just one small country yeah. in West South Africa. Yeah, if you and there's other deserts, you know, if you go to Mali, there's a whole desert. Yeah, Burkina Faso, there's a whole, you know, the whole Sahara, the you know, top uh, middle Africa. Yeah, um, the, all of it is a desert, or most of it is a desert, right? And they don't even have proper roads in some places. Obviously, you have rural places, proper proper. Um, rural places as well, the villages that you can't even get to yeah. by by transport, uh-huh. right? So, if there's no infrastructure in terms of in terms of you know a road being there, yeah, how are you how are you going to expect a, a proper you know a normal car? Maybe I shouldn't say a proper car, <laughs> but a normal car to go there, yeah, and then an electric car to go there as well, yeah. You know, so they they have power cuts. In, in African countries or developing countries even yeah. Pakistan you have that yeah, but power cuts but even, even places rural places where they ha- don't have electricity at all yeah, yeah. I mean they have to they, they rely on UPS or other yeah. systems as yeah. well to actually gener- give, you know, generate that or solar mm-hmm. panels and other things as well but mm-hmm. you know they don't even have access to electricity 24-7 yeah. right how are they going to charge a car and then go go to another place yeah, as well exactly. it? it's going to be it's, it's, it's only possible for some of the places in Europe, I think. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it it just reminds me of one thing, and I hope, uh, do not get offended, uh, but this is um, for those who are vegan or veg- vegetarians, right? Ooh, I mean, okay. <laughs> I, okay. I, I went to Niger. Okay. They And it's uh, 80% of the country is desert. They rely mm. literally on one sort of plant mm. and, and meat. Right. Right. So how, how are they... Ex- you know, supposed to have a full yeah. uh, vegan diet. You know, and some of the countries like, um, you know, where there is only snow, for example, mm. uh, Iceland or other countries, right? Uh, 
you know they can't they don't they, they can't uh have vegetables but this is a different topic but it's not possible for every country to adopt uh things that we are enforcing on on these countries uh but if there is a, an alternative we can do it of course for example i think pakistan recently invented a uh, solar yeah. panel uh car right yeah. so solar so panel car yeah yeah so that um, works with the uh the sun rays uh, and everything yeah. yeah so that's possible in in countries uh like where there's a lot of sun uh but not in <laughs> in england i guess yeah i think do you know about this news that uh, I, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> i haven't heard of, i didn't know if pakistan could actually do something uh like that so i mean that's i mean it's good if they if they have done it but it's so the roof is with with solar panels solar panels and and it, i saw it driving as well so i don't know how fast it can go but interesting but just talking about <laughs> sorry talking about electric um electric vehicles as well you mean the 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 amount of distance that you can actually drive right is 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 sometimes is sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's really funny mm-hmm. because it's because they say oh maybe maybe you can do in a full charge you know you can drive yeah. 200 miles yeah. for example but then you don't get that 200 miles as well you get you get a little bit less than that mm-hmm. and obviously the more you charge your car obviously you you know the battery goes a little bit less yeah. as well. i mean obviously not that fast because it's uh, it's 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 developed it's a, it's a new technology and it's quite high tech but yeah. still but still imagine some cars can only do 150 or 100 miles yeah. or some can even do less than uh, less than that mm. on a full charge right they can only do 80 miles per se mm. and then you know if you have, if you want to go on a long journey um if you want to go on a long journey on a motorway um you 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 have to charge your car sometimes sometimes in the middle sometimes even twice if you're going you know that yeah. distance and you know it's not just about it's not just about the distance it's about it's about the conditions on the road as well if it's cold outside you're going to yeah. put the heating on right yeah if you put the heating on the the mileage is going to go less mm-hmm. if you if it's raining you're going to put the wipers on the mileage is going to go yeah, even less than that <laughs> if it's at if it's at night time and you're going to put your lights on the the mileage is going to go less than that as well yeah. so all of these factors are there in place um <clears throat> i mean obviously not on purpose but the 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 mileage that it says that your car is going to get you're not actually going to get that yeah. so this is why i don't know if you can tell but i'm not 100% a fan of electric i mean i i for for if it's if it's for 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 you know the betterment of the environment yeah. then yeah 100% i am i'm for that uh, and that's a very good thing that's a very no- noble thing a noble cause as well but then saying that okay we're going to develop these uh, electric cars um we're going to give it to you know the the developed uh, developed countries but only we're going to make it so expensive that only rich people can afford them or upper middle class people can actually afford them yeah. right because let's face it um i can't afford it <laughs> i don't know um people who are you know working on minimum wage they can't afford it yeah um to charge it is quite expensive as well hmm. and they say no emissions on the road but you're still paying the 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 road tax and every yeah. other thing the other things as well <clears throat> so what why are you you know why are you paying these different things uh the funds uh for something which is not even going to make a big difference mm. right because let's face it the developed countries 
say, Western Western European countries, America, you can talk about that as well. Yep. But if you look at the developing countries, the whole of Africa, or, you know, South the, America, South America, Asia. Asia as well, they are developing countries, yep. okay? The Middle East, fine, that is developed, yep. uh, you know, in some, in some places, yep. and obviously uh, some places not anymore because of, <coughs> you know, some other Western countries as well, but that's a whole different topic. Hmm. Um, how if they are you know if, if if they if there's no sort of infrastructure for them yeah and that's the majority right the 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 china has the most population isn't it yeah uh, something one or one point something billion or whatever and mm-hmm. then india has something like that as well and the neighboring countries mm-hmm. if there's nothing no infrastructure uh for electric cars over there for everyone yeah then how are you going to make a, a huge difference it's just a it's, it's, it's a drop possible. in the ocean isn't it yeah it's, it's a drop in the ocean it's it's just not possible um but Shajil, having said that yeah uh, we personally i don't like electric cars all right right you have but to say the reasons as well what are, are your reasons the same reasons what Shajil okay, mentioned same reasons okay. same reasons okay. that is yeah, okay. i, I don't i don't like the method of charging every time yeah. and uh yeah. spending extra time okay i got that the car take the wires yeah. out and go and charge it uh, the whole daily d- daily thing is just it just sounds tedious and it, sounds it, it would take you double the time to just reach somewhere more than 150 miles i'd say mm. yeah. because every single time you have to okay unless you go and get a tesla and then you can do one charge and uh, you'll survive like a week yeah. all right yeah. that, then it's fine but how, of course how, Sajil mentioned that you can't afford it how many miles can a tesla go tesla i think it can go about 2 300 depending on their model and two, miles. there's some prototype mm. batteries that can go up to 700 miles that are being developed. Okay. okay. But obviously... But yeah. the harsh but reality, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many people can afford it? <laughs> yeah. The harsh reality that comes into play is that in 20, 30 years' time, there will be no combustion engines. There will be no petrol, diesel cars. That means... That's the, the future is electric cars. What did you say? 2030? 2030 years. Oh, oh, oh. In oh, 2030 20, 30 In 2030 years, years okay. in the future, okay. Okay. we're going full electric cars. Yeah, because... It's happening. <laughs> Supercars are also going electric as well. Yeah, exactly. So, as yeah, lo- as much as we hate them right cool now, anymore. or as much as we find, obviously they will be they will be developed to an extent that a lot of people can afford them. It will be developed to an extent that charging them becomes more convenient. Yeah. So th- these kind of things <coughs> would come into play, then. But then you you're only talking about the developing countries, right? I think in the future, sorry, a the lot developed of countries, countries would become, I think, to, to some extent, developed. Um. I'm talking about let's say 2050, which is what 27 years from now. 2050. I even then, I don't think ev- ev- not the whole entire world would be on a developed. Years. Yeah, developed. Con- yeah, developed countries. Developed maybe, but yeah. not developing. N- not, developing not developing countries no. because that's a you know that's a whole different task. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole different task. One of the funny things I've seen um, is in I don't want to mention the names, but the cars that they don't need here, so that goes to the developing countries. Hmm. Um, and maybe you know we will get rid of all the um, <clears throat> uh, non-electric cars to the developing countries, mm. and then eventually these countries where we're living in at the moment uh, that will go into fully electric. But then uh, you know we will need to find out uh, ways to <laughs> improve because there is a lot of problems that um, Shadiusab said. Um, um, there is a the, the Holy Quran also speaks about the future as well. Mm. The the Holy Quran uh, because 
if you look at the Holy Quran when it was revealed 1400 years ago, we didn't have any cars, planes, trains, nothing. But uh, there was a prophecy made, and, and the Holy Quran states that uh, about the she camels, that and when the she camels 10 months pregnant are abundant, right? <clears throat> and um, I believe she camels back in the days were a very uh, valuable. Um, you know, means of transportation, but it also just didn't give uh, the means of transportation or allowed us to travel, but also had a lot of benefits. It was like, um, uh, you can say, a Ferrari or, or it was like a prestige, a, a uh, prestige car, mode yeah, of transport, yeah, exactly. And um, the Holy Prophet, or uh, the Holy Holy Quran, God Almighty, saying that this will be abundant, uh, that was a shock for people. You know, people could not understand how our means of transportation or things literally uh, like we have trucks and trains and buses, you know, they used to travel with the camels in, in, in the Arabian Peninsula, right? right? And then the Holy Quran also states in chapter 18 that, and he has created horses and mules and asses that you may ride them as a source of beauty and he will create what you do not yet know. So he's, you know, God Almighty is referring to those uh, things, inventions that mm. we are uh, using at nowadays that was not uh, there with, uh, with uh, you know, 1400 years ago. So mm. um, again, these are the inventions that we are using. These are the inventions that God Almighty stated in the Holy Quran. Um, and also one of them is the electric vehicles, you know, 60, 70 years ago. They didn't, I don't know, uh, maybe. They, we did didn't they, even I, don't, I don't think they, they they had this concept of electric vehicles back in, if, if you just go 50, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, this is also something that uh, we'll be using. So electric vehicles are those that are either partially or fully powered on electric power. So th those people who are not familiar to electric you know, vehicles. These are also vehicles that uh, have reduced running and maintenance costs as well as being environmentally friendly mm. as they use title to no uh, fossil fuels at all. So there are two common uh, types of electric vehicles. I think there are four in total, but the common ones is one, the fully electric and plug-in hybrids. The plug-in ones, yeah, plug-in hybrids, fully yeah. electric, plug-in hybrids and the other one and the well. other one is the plug-in hybrid uh, which is a um uh, you know 50-50 so it's a mixture of battery and and it can also use petrol diesel uh, you know power some cars yeah some cars have that as well but mm -hmm. you know the the mileage on those ones are are very are very little as well mm. uh, we'll we'll speak a little bit more about that later on as well let's let's speak to our our first guest for this part of the show Zainab Fatima um, uh, uh, Asalaamu As Alaikum, peace be upon you and thank you so much for joining us and Thank you for having me Now with your, with your knowledge in uh, mechanical engineering how, how effective do you think that electric vehicles are in comparison to, to regular vehicles? Um, uh, well, uh, since um, 1882 when the first um, practical electric tricycle was made um, I think they have come a long way as uh, everything that develops and is made um, the overall efficiency, if we're talking about CO2 emissions, um, are quite uh, are significantly lower than internal combustion engines. 
Um, and considering that the transport sector is accountable for 26% of um, total carbon dioxide, dioxide emissions globally, um, the numbers are significant and they do add up. Um, but it can be argued that um, they are cheaper to run in uh, some countries. Um, however, if you look at them as a practical, uh, in a practical way, so if I look at them as part of my life living in the UK, um, which is a high-income country and has a good GDPR per person, hmm. and they are not uh, really that effective because, firstly, um, the UK cannot provide uh, enough clean energy produ uh, production to support the demand um, once everyone transfers over to EV. Um, because I remember reading somewhere that uh, the UK only produces 5% uh, access electricity than its demand, so those numbers don't quite add up. And um, this also ties in with the infrastructure required um, with these EVs. Um, as you mentioned, that uh, some of them are plug-ins and they do need to charge up. So um, especially uh, up north uh, from Birmingham to Edinburgh, um, if you're traveling, it does. it's a long journey anyway. It's like a seven-hour journey. And then if you consider in the um, charging uh, breaks that you have to take, that quite adds up. And then the point of fast charging uh, also comes in with it because even if your car is adaptable to fast charging, you have to go around and look for fast chargers. And if they're not available, then um, you still have to wait quite a long time. And um, this is also comes along with the ethical debate of um, the lithium batteries that are used in these vehicles. So firstly, the lifespan of a battery and how long will that last? and whether you can have a second-hand uh, electro vehicle. And the lithium mining uh, for the use of these batteries um, is not quite readily available, and that essentially makes it a non-renewable uh, fuel. It's quite similar to that. So I, uh, the internal combustion engines, they use um, diesel and uh, petrol that's uh, mined through oil, and these use lithium, which is uh, also mined. So if you compare them in that sense, they can be quite similar. Now you're you're a mechanical uh, engineering student as well, so I, I want to know your uh, intake on this as well. Um, in regards to hybrid vehicles versus fully electric uh, uh, electric vehicles as well, what, what's your view on them? Which one's better or whatever? Um, well, they are um, quite similar in terms of uh, um, the um, mechanics behind it because uh, they both do use an electric battery that is uh, powered by an electric motor. Um, and the good thing about the hybrid vehicles is that they really do make a lot more sense compared to electric vehicles because firstly, um, uh, they've got uh, energy management systems on board and um, as you would be aware that at lower uh, speeds, the car is running uh, on the electric motor, mm. which is normally in the city where the speed limits are 30 or 20 miles per hour. Um, so, uh, and there's a lot of braking as well. Um, and uh, using the energy that is regained from the braking system, um, the battery is again recharged and is uh, being discharged at the same time during the city. But however, when you need to go on long travels or you need to take the motorway or any fast journeys required, they do switch over to um, the normal fuel mm -hmm. and they uh, use their uh, internal combustion engines that's at the front of the car. And that it makes it quite a lot more efficient. Um, I know it's not 100% uh, zero carbon, but that if you look at it in an efficiency way, they are the best cars out there at the minute. Now, in terms of any alternatives, are there any alternatives to uh, to to electric vehicles 
that can that can also benefit the environment, such as solar panelled cars or something like that. Um, in terms of solar panel cars, uh, that really depends on the region that you're using them in. As you'd be aware, um, the UK is not quite a good region to be using uh, solar power because of the unpredicted uh, weather and uh, the hours of sunlight that we get. And uh, in terms of solar panels as well, um, because silicon used on the solar panel only has 23% uh, efficiency, um, solar panels as a renewable energy aren't that effective. So um, the other things that we've uh, looked down is uh, fuel cells and hydrogen-powered cars. Um, they are so far the most uh, environmental, environmentally friendly uh, fuel types um, because they have three main components. Um, a fuel cell to convert energy to basically electricity, um, a battery that stores all of that uh, electricity or energy, and an um, electric drivetrain for um, propulsion. So um, the, uh, it's, the hydrogen itself is either compressed gas or liquid, and um, the only byproduct you get out of that is water vapours. Um, but the biggest issue with that is uh, transportation of that uh, compressed hydrogen or liquid hydrogen um, and uh, the use of it, which can be quite risky, which is why um, it is quite limited. And the way to attain hydrogen is through electrolysis, which requires a lot of energy, in its own self so that is one of the reasons hydrogen is not being used another one um, is uh, biofuels like um, bioethanol which can potentially be carbon zero um, because it is grown um, it, uh, already it's a plant which takes away the carbon dioxide anyway and then you use up uh, the same plant to make fuel but that spikes the um, debate between uh, fuel versus uh, food um, because there's a, there's been a lot of arguments over whether we need that uh, food for fuel or because of the uh, levels of uh, poverty increasing in the world, we should rem that should remain as food and be served to the people who are in most need. So what is your opinion on government's goal of ending the sale of new petrol and diesel vehicles by 2030? Um, well, firstly, um, I believe that um, electric cars are very expensive. And um, as a student myself, um, I'll be graduating soon and uh, I'll be needing a car to get from um, my home to my workplace. And uh, using uh, an electric drivetrain um, and a battery would be really difficult because uh, if you use those as a second-hand uh, car, um, they can come up with a lot of complications because that really depends on the yeah. first owner and how they have used it, how well they have man uh, maintained the battery. Um, compared to an um, internal combustion engine, um, we've seen a lot of second-hand cars going around and they are quite um, effective and they run a long time as well. Um, and we are currently um, seven years away from this deadline. And um, as a final year student, um, I'm currently studying a module on internal combustion engines. So um, I really don't understand how the government plans on making all of these new electric vehicles uh, which are extremely efficient, but the new engineers that are going to be joining the sector um, next year or the coming years are still being taught about the old uh, engines. So uh, we haven't been taught a great deal about electric uh, engines, which was quite a surprise for me as well. And another thing um, is that, um, as you would have seen uh, during the COVID lockdown, um, the biggest hit was taken by the aviation sector. Um, 
and that had a big impact on the climate change numbers that we were um, that were observed after that year. Yep. Um, because the biggest contributor um, to the greenhouse gases in the transportation sector is aviation, and they do a lot more damage than a normal motor car or an uh, internal combustion engine. Because of the high altitudes of the um, aeroplane, um, they cause a, a localized effect um, near the ozone layer, um, and uh, due to uh, that. Um, they make a lot more damage. So I personally think that we need to somehow sort out aviation first and then um, possibly move to cars because even though we use a lot of them, they have uh, very less damage compared to aviation. So maybe the government needs to focus on that as international thing um, rather than uh, cutting down on cars. And plus, um, cars do make a lot of... Uh, internal combustion engines make a lot of good noise, which uh, I think as a car enthusiast myself, uh, they should be allowed to be there. Very interesting. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for for joining us and speaking to us uh, as well. It's uh, great to have your uh, insight in regards to this as well. Assalamu alaikum, Zakallah. Thank you, family. So, Jill, just taking it from yeah. um, our guest, you know, she said our petrol engines and diesel engines, they also, they are mined, right? And um, to get the fuel out. Yeah. Same thing is with these batteries, these lithium batteries, they need to be mined. So are we actually protecting the environment when we're doing the same thing for both? That's the thing, isn't it? That's the, that's the, that's the big question. That's the big question. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, you think that it's just a money-making scheme, whichever way you go. If you go left, if you go, if you go right, both avenues are just there to, to, to take the money out of people's pockets. And because it's a new thing, it's trendy. If you look at electric cars as well, they, they, they. You have to admit, they do look good as well, isn't it? Some, yeah, they Some, do look yeah. good. I electric, mean, you can't, you can't cars, really they electric look cars. Good. They look alright. They look alright. I mean, supercars uh, look. Uh, supercars are supercars, isn't supercars it? Supercars, are supercars. Yeah, but even if they go to electric, they wouldn't be as cool as as electric cars because it doesn't make any sound. You know? I mean, piston <laughs> head is always a piston head, but uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously. Electric cars, you know, some people say, some people say <laughs> that yeah. that driving an electric uh, supercar, you know, fast and you can't hear anything. That, that that's, no, no, no. Some people say that that's, that's its own sensation in that as well. Yeah. Some people would agree, some people would disagree. I mean, if we haven't done it, then, then, you know, try it. I haven't done it, but I'm just saying, some people say that it's, it's a weird sensation, but it's quite nice. It. I'm trying to imagine it. Yeah. But imagine soundless. You're going about 200 miles yeah. an hour, but there's no sound. You might I mean, play a that's the thing. The that's, that's the new thing, isn't it? That's the new trend. That's the new trend. <laughs> that's, where, that's what you said. That's what the world is going towards. <laughs> 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 but that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we talk about, we talk about um, charging, charging your car, right? One of the downsides or one of the negative aspects in regards to it, because we mentioned a few positives, isn't it? So a few negatives is that um, if you want to charge a petrol or a diesel car, you know how long does it take for a full tank? Two, three, mi- maximum five minutes, yep. maximum. If that, right? yeah. if you've got like a proper hefty, you know, hefty, hefty engine uh, size. But you know, if you want to charge an electric car, how long does that take? Depending on your car, sometimes it can take hours. Sometimes you have to leave it overnight. Uh, to charge as well for you to be fully charged um, yeah, you know no, like, I've got a few friends right and right. they've they've got electric cars or hybrid cars yeah they've made a routine that yeah. 
this is the time we're going to charge it and they've kind of set that according to their routine that mm. you wake up and or oh, before sleeping at night we put it on the charge and then wake up in the morning take it off you know it's it's come part of this schedule or daily routine yeah uh, it's like a mobile phone charging overnight isn't it cuz you know yeah. <laughs> if you don't charge it i mean yeah that's part of the routine isn't it that's, that's a part, part of the routine, routine though, yeah but the thing is is that it takes longer it, it takes longer because obviously mm. you know you have to open up the you know open up the mm. uh, the, the car take the take the wire out or whatever and then plug it in what if it's you know what if it's raining what if the weather's not nice whether it's windy and mm. it's dark and all of these things you still have to do it isn't it and you know a funny thing i've i've watched tedious. on um <laughs> on the or one of the videos online was a guy he had a tesla mm. and in his trunk he had uh, a a motor mm. um i don't know if you guys seen it or not a honda motor you know that was fueled by by petrol i guess mm. and that gave electricity so he was somewhere in nowhere where there was no nothing nothing around and he stopped there and he was just you know charging his phone uh, charging his his car through that motored uh, how do you call it you know um so you basically uh, he was charging through uh using fuel from mm. um uh, from a Honda motored uh, I can't an adapter I don't know yeah, yeah it was like a, it was like a, you know the battery mm. not the battery of the tesla it was a separate battery that you know run with with oil with 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 fuel and that was charging the tesla and that was charging the tesla or, or the motor the, yeah yeah the that was not charging battery. whilst he was driving but it was so basically sort of indirectly so indirectly yeah, yeah so let's say if you don't have uh, electric um uh, electricity around you he you know he was he could he could use that yeah. in emergency basically so do you know the concept of water powered cars is that a concept uh, i i have heard of a hydro cars or something some, something mm. like that something like that um or hydro energy or something like that but i don't know if there is actually a car like that like that if it, or if it yeah, can yeah i mean as Zakaria mentioned as well that there are some so, solar panelled cars solar panelled cars uh, uh, as well uh, water powered i think in, in I belgium think there back were prototypes it, uh, there, there were prototypes i remember um going on a bus in belgium uh, many years ago that was more than a decade ago mm-hmm. they made a bus in a factory which run with water and you couldn't hear anything mm. so they they were successful in it but they didn't make our more ocean is vast ocean <laughs> is vast i mean the whole right. pacific isn't it the whole pacific is there i mean there's no yeah. there's no land in the pacific but you know when one one positive of electric cars as well is that once you know if you're if you're on a drag race you know quarter mile it's going to win <laughs> it's going to win two cars standing at two cars standing like, even if it's a even if it's a sports car right yeah definitely. the electric car will will win if it's you know if it's not too far if it's not too far if, short if, distance but yeah short distance. short distance but obviously if it's a long distance then obviously it'll, it'll, the, the sports car will catch up yeah um but but because it's electric isn't it electric is like that it's, instant, it's instant as soon as you as soon as you put your finger uh sorry not your finger if you put your yeah. foot on it yeah that's it it's gone it's going to blow yeah future is going to be with finger as well <laughs> i don't think the <laughs> no, future know. won't have to use our uh it will ha- have electric, to use our hands electric anymore. cars people have been falling asleep on and they just a lot yeah, yeah. No, but that's the and that's, <laughs> that's the um uh, self self-driving drive self driving system, system yeah. as well isn't it that's also um, dangerous, though. I mean, that's also. I mean, obviously, yeah, there have been accidents because in, of that. <clears throat> uh, 
Is that that's mostly in electric vehicles? This driving electric electric system. vehicles as well. Or is yeah. there any other uh, combustion engines? They also have self-driving. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not too sure like because Tesla I've only seen in Teslas as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but obviously, you know, th- there are in different cars. They have parking. Uh, they can it, can it can park it by itself, and you know, petrol cars have that. Diesel cars have that as well. So that's not just electric cars. You know, when it when it parks and it does a parallel park by itself, it can do that. Mm. Um, but it's uh, in terms of driving. I think I've only seen it in in you know fully electric um, cars as well. Let's speak to our next guest who's on the line with us, Matthias Eskiel. Um, uh, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for for joining us. Could you start off uh, by telling, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and uh, DMV? Yes, sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for for the invitation. It's a it's a pleasure to be this afternoon here in in your show. I'm Matthias Ubogi. I'm the electric vehicles regional uh, segment leader for Southern Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Latin America for mm. DNB. And DNB is a, a company of more than 12,000 uh, people. We are present in more than uh, 100 countries. And we are independent experts in uh, assurance and risk management. And particularly for the, for the energy value chain, we provide technical advisory, testing, and certification services. Mm. And, and I will be glad to, to speak about electric vehicles in the next uh, couple of minutes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just talking about that as well. How, how was electric vehicles or, or this whole power uh, actually introduced into modern society? Okay, well, electric vehicles, electric vehicles are not uh, something new. Um, almost a hundred years ago, uh, by early nineteen hundred, uh, electric cars were already one third of the vehicles on the road. Uh, new York City had a, a whole fleet of electric ta- taxis that time. Mm. Uh, then, of course, the internal combustion uh, engine vehicles were uh, taken due to some technological innovation, the, the whole market for, for about 100 years. Mm. And in the last five to 10 years, we have seen a lot of new models uh, arriving to, to the market uh, with uh, higher range and definitely uh, be more uh, appealing to the customer and also Starting to to get price reduction, particularly with the with the battery, which which represents about forty uh, percent of the of the cost of the vehicle. Uh, the battery prices had dropped uh, about uh, to, to to half of the value that it was ten years ago. Um, so this was driving also the the EV revolution uh, at a higher higher paces. Now, Matthias, when it comes to um, safety, the, this element as well, because that's very important, and, and some people are also, also con, uh, concerned about this as well. Are electric vehicles safe, or are they safer than uh, other uh, vehicles as well, petrol and diesel cars? Yes, yes. Yeah, this is a, a typical uh, concern, as uh, any uh, different technology or technological innovation with uh, a rise discussion for, for the user, and a proof of uh, the safety of electric vehicles is that uh, for urine cup, which is assessing safety for uh, almost every vehicle launched in the in the market, five out of six of the urine cup uh, best in class uh, winners in, in 2022 were electric. Um, and 
basically electric free, electric vehicles had um, more freedom when it comes to package. Package is where you place each of the components. As you have the batteries typically on the on the floor of the vehicle, engineers have more freedom uh, to to adequate the formation zones um, and have better uh, deformation in case, particularly on the front crash, which is uh, one of the most uh, sensitive type of, of crash. So, um, yeah, this is definitely not a concern and, and shouldn't be a barrier for, for EV uptake. Mm -hmm. um, it has also been suggested that uh, despite the high-income countries being responsible for the majority of global emissions, um, the poorer nations uh, could be left behind in the revelation of high-tech transport, and we've been discussing about this earlier as well. Um, how feasible and accessible is AV-powered uh, cars for the general population in the Middle East and Africa? I'm not sorry. I, I don't want to say Middle East. I would I would say rather Africa, South Asia, and and, and other uh, uh, developing countries. Hmm. Yes. Well. De definitely, um, there is a, a slower pace for for EV adoption in in countries with uh, lower incomes, in more poor countries with with uh, lower uh, GDP per capita. That's uh, uh, the, the current uh, status. Um, from DNB, we release every year uh, a report, a global report called. Uh, ETO, which is the, the Energy Transition Outlook, in which we assess different aspects of the energy transition, including mm -hmm. the electric vehicle uptake uh, forecast up to 2050 for different regions. Um, and here we see a, a definite uh, delay uh, of about 10 to 20 years, depending on the region. Uh, Middle East will be about uh, 10 years of, of delay uh, with the U UK, for example. UK will reach about 50% of uh, electric vehicle sales in 2026, while uh, Middle East will reach this 50% by 2036, 10 years later. And um, the, the African countries, uh, on average, will, will reach this 50% of electric vehicle sales by uh, 2047 which is uh, almost 20 years uh, later. So definitely there, there is a, a different pace, but the electrification of transport will uh, definitely happen in, in different regions. The only thing is that it will happen at uh, other reasons, and the poor countries will probably benefit uh, even on, on longer term, but... Uh, due to the economies of scale and uh, the technological innovation that uh, those vehicles will uh, develop in these uh, extra 10 to 20 years for, for our markets. Um, and, and lastly, um, what changes can electric vehicles in particular bring for, for these countries? Uh, but then uh, you said that you know it would take much much longer than you know Middle East and, and then than Africa let's say but what what are the changes that they can see in future yes well de definitely um, air pollution is is uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, problem that uh, electric vehicles are, are able to tackle um, in in Middle East and Africa the expected growth that we are seeing for 
for the whole uh, vehicle market will be uh, will almost uh, triplicate. It will be at 2.6 times growth between 2022 and 2050 in terms of quantity of vehicles. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, has a, a very contundent uh, figure saying that uh, uh, 7 million people are uh, killed every year due to air pollution. So um, as vehicle fleets are going to, to increase in, in different uh, countries and uh, local air quality needs to be reduced, definitely one of the big changes that electric vehicle will provide is a, an improvement in, in air quality. This comes together with a noise pollution reduction because, uh, well, typically uh, electric motors are, are less uh, noisy than combustion engine. Also, this will help to, to reduce the, the country CO2 emissions uh, regarding country objectives uh, on CO2. And I think one uh, other opportunity for, for uh, developing countries regarding uh, electric vehicles is the, the potential for um, economic development uh, opportunities. For example, um, in, in Kenya, there are some uh, startups uh, appearing with uh, solutions for battery swapping system uh, for, for motorcycles. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a good example of an adaptation of a uh, uh, lower entry barrier that typical electric vehicle has uh, because are less complex than combustion engine vehicles. And um, thanks to this, uh, you are not needing to purchase a vehicle with a battery, you're just purchasing uh, the vehicle and the battery is uh, paid as a service. So it's already competitive today uh, if you compare a motorcycle uh, with a gasoline uh, motor and um, an electric vehicle with this battery as a service. And then operation running costs are, are lower with this system. So these are some, some of the local examples of uh, startups that uh, can definitely benefit from, from this uh, new EV revolution. Also in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, there is uh, Seer, which is uh, the first uh, Saudi automotive brand, which, which was just uh, launched uh, late uh, 2022. And they are aiming to create uh, by design, manufacturing and selling electric vehicles uh, in the country up to 30,000 uh, new jobs. So, um, this will, will also bring some uh, potential benefits to the countries, and uh, I'm sure that in the next upcoming years, um, new uh, ideas and new ways of adapting electric vehicles to the local market will will happen, and this will definitely bring some um, economic development opportunities for those countries. Absolutely, absolutely. Matthias Eskiu, thank you so much for jo uh, for joining us and uh, sharing your expertise uh, with us, uh, our listeners as well. Uh, thank you so much once again. Have a have a lovely day. Okay, thank you and have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank nice you. Okay. to speak to you. You too. So that was uh, uh, Matthias Eskiu, you know, some very uh, insightful information he, he gave uh, to us as well. Let's, uh, with that, let's speak his to our next guest uh, as well. well. Yeah. His predictions are quite close to what I his said. His like predictions are quite close as well, 2050. Yeah. I mean, but let's see though, isn't it? Let's see what actually, let's he see what... He said 50% of uh, Africa yeah. would potentially have uh, electric vehicles by 2047. Mm, let's see.
Let's uh, see them. Yeah, I guess all of us here in the studio, like, we don't really prefer electric vehicles. <laughs> uh, so I think our next guest... Yeah, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's speak <laughs> to our next guest. Uh, Naveed Amini, uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the show. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, you've got you've got an electric vehicle. When when uh, did you decide to uh, buy buy one? So I think um, actually this is my second electric vehicle I've got now. Oh wow! The first one um, we got it about four years ago, mm. and it was because the government were really pushing electric vehicles at that time, and um, you know they were they were sort of supporting saving on tax and. Uh, whatnot. So there was a lot of discounts and savings to be had at the having electric vehicles at that time. Mm. <clears throat> so the first car I bought, um, it was actually a plug-in hybrid. So it was part petrol um, and part um, electric, mm. which actually uh, gave about 20 miles on a single charge. So you could good, use it locally um, as an EV. And then if you were going long distance, you'd use the, the petrol of the car. So How's your experience been then uh, overall? Is it has it been positive or what do you think? So I think when when we first got the car, I think one of the reasons um, that we did like it was that it was convenient to charge at home. Hmm. Um, it didn't take a long time. I think a few hours you'd get a full charge on that car. Right. And after having it for two years, we decided to try and get a fully electric car because we did enjoy the experience of having a, a you know a, a hybrid electric car. And then, so having the experience of a, a fully electric car over the last two years, it's been quite different. So I think originally, because uh, electric prices were a lot cheaper when we first got it, then it was quite cheap to run. Um, you know, on a full charge of the electric car would be about £15, and that would give you about 240 miles. Mm. And obviously... We know that the price of electric have gone up last year, so that's doubled now, um, and that's sort of made quite a significant difference to the ownership of an electric car because you're paying almost the same now as uh, you would if you had a petrol car mm. for travelling. Um, but actually, if you're travelling long distance, it's more expensive than petrol or diesel. And Avid, you know, the government are also pushing for people to get these electric cars. And you know, you mentioned um, in the beginning you was looking at the the pros of getting an electric car and how government can be supportive in that sense. You know, for our listeners, uh, are there any schemes out there that can help uh, people to actually be able to afford these um, electric vehicles if they were going to go ahead with them? I think originally there were tax subsidies. They were trying to get people on the electric ladder early, but those have been phased out now. So, right. you know, there's not as many incentives out there at the moment as there were originally. Even so, I think from the, until last year, you would get a discount if you wanted an electric charging point installed in your home. But even that discount has been removed now. Also, I think there was initially, there were, uh, I think government were giving a grant to those that want to. So I think that, that, that has been phased out as well? Yes. Okay. So in terms of like owning an electric vehicle, what do you think are the biggest pros and cons of having an electric think, vehicle? Um, the pros are the fact that I haven't ever seen a petrol station uh, for a very long time, <laughs> unless I was like driving past one to maybe get some snacks from us, you know, stop and get a coffee. Um, it's just been so convenient. You, you know, overnight we can charge the car at home um, 25% and we only use 
typically about 10% battery a day. So you can, you know, just think from there that you just plug it in overnight and you've got enough uh, charge in there to last a few days. So that's one, I think that's been the biggest uh, pro for us is just that convenience of just being able to sit in a car and drive around, not have to stop at a petrol station at any point. I think one of the cons, again, it's long distance traveling. Long, it, it's very difficult unless you plan it out. Um, your travel time takes significantly longer than if you had a petrol car. You, I mean, with our car, it gives you 230, 240 mile range. So if we're traveling, let's say we live in Bradford, and if we if we're traveling to London uh, or down south anywhere, we have to stop for at least half an hour to 40 minutes to get us enough charge to get us to our destination and have about 30 or 40 miles on there as you know extra just in case there's any roadworks or because there have been times when we've been rerouted and then those miles start to disappear quite quickly so you have to have building a contingency into your battery as well knowing that there may not be anywhere to stop for 30 or 40 miles to get extra charge So sometimes, you know, in in supermarkets and various other places, you have um, uh, retail parks as well. You you have these um, charges there as well. Are they are they for free, or do you have to pay for that as well? So Tesco used to do free charging, and so did I think Lidl or Aldi. Um, but now that's all changed because of the cost of electricity has gone so high. They now charge you the same rate that you would be paying at home or um, actually even even more expensive than that. So if you're using a fast charger, which uh, is like 50 kilowatts, well, actually, no, it starts from 22 kilowatt speed um, and goes up to 100 kilowatt speed. Those chargers are considered fast chargers, so they charge you a premium price. If you're charging at 30 pence per kilowatt at home, on those chargers, it's 50 pence, but if you're getting into London, you're paying almost 70 pence a kilowatt. So it's like more than double of what you'd be paying at home to charge your, your electric car. So I think a five-minute stop at the petrol station is much more convenient than a 30 or an hour long stop <laughs> at these charging <laughs> spots. Yeah, it's getting more and more like that over time, definitely. So I mean, it is it is you know quite uh, quite a hot topic. Some people I mean prefer it. Some people uh, don't like it uh, at all. Um, any any final any final comments? Um, and before you give that final comments, or is your next car going to be uh, electric vehicle as well? So I think until the government doesn't create better infrastructure for charging, hmm. um, and one of the experiences we've had recently with a lot more people buying electric cars without knowing what they're getting themselves into, when you're on the motorway. Um, you try and use a charging point, you'll probably find that there's a car already charging there or two cars already charging mm, there. Yeah. So even before you can start charging, you're waiting for other people. So the infrastructure needs to be there for multiple cars to be charging and actually at a fast speed because when you've got two cars on the same charging point, the speed of the charging actually comes down to half oh. and that's something people don't realise. So you're going to be standing there for double or triple the time you actually <laughs> intended to if there's another car there. Yeah. So that's that's the, um, one of the issues. And also, you know, the costing. I mean, once if electricity is going to keep going higher and higher, 
it's just going to be unfeasible because electric cars initially cost more than a petrol or a diesel and now it's costing more to run as well yeah and you know originally you had it that they would be cheaper to run so it it worked out mm. so in that way i think you know i'm really considering it's a big definitely going down for down downhill definitely <laughs> yeah. or maybe even a hybrid i think a lot of people i've spoken to they're mm. thinking about hybrid cars um as as something that they'd consider absolutely any 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 last uh, comments that you would like to share with our listeners that uh, yeah, just be very careful now before you buy an EV car. Um, do do your homework, do your research. And um, I think one of the things people get caught at is at the moment they don't understand what uh, the rate of charging costs. When you say 30 pence per kilowatt, mm. they think it looks like is it is that the speed? So in one hour we're going to spend 30 pence. But it's not. If, if you've got like a 50 kilowatt battery, then you've got to work out that one kilowatt um, times 50 is what it's going to cost you to fully charge that battery mm. no matter what speed if it's fast or slow it will always cost you the same so once you know that it kind of helps you to understand oh actually that's not as cheap as we thought it would be oh, and Zakala for that piece of advice uh, as well especially someone who's owned uh, two uh, electric uh, electric cars as well uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and speaking no to problem. us no problem Zakala for having me it's a pleasure um, so I don't know um, what our listeners uh, made out of that as well, but for me, uh, that's actually pushed me even more <laughs> against, against <laughs> electric vehicles as well. Include myself in that as well. I think yeah. I've I've driven further away yeah, from isn't it? Cars isn't it? Just yeah. over the past hour. What, what about you? Myself as well. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you want to go somewhere far, you can't yeah. you can't rely on let's say the ways, the time that they show on yeah. ways uh, or, yeah. or, or, or Google Maps or whatever. Mm. It will definitely take you much more <laughs> time. Imagine when uh, if Google Maps or Waze just included a, are you going to make a stop for charging? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Literally. add that time onto your journey yeah. as well. I mean, if there's, a, if there's, you know, if you can't even charge it because there's another car already there, imagine yeah. waiting the double time as well. Yeah. Um, so, may, I mean, obviously this is an ongoing topic. Maybe sometime in the future we'll come back to this topic as well and speak a little bit more about this as well. But that's all we have time for. Uh, on our show today. Thank you to all the producers and the researchers. Uh, pleasure to present with uh, you guys as well. Uh, until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.